acceptance really is multi-layered. You know, accepting on the surface, accepting how it affected others, accepting why you did it, accepting just sort of all of those pieces. And when it's something that feels really life-changing, really bad, really earth-rocking, which I assume that it is because you called in and you asked this question. When it's something like that, I don't think it's possible to process all of it at once. I think it's many, many months of unpacking, maybe years of understanding why. But forgiveness has to start with acceptance of what happened. And acceptance of like, why did I do this thing? Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi guys, it's Rachel and welcome to another episode of the show and another conversation that I hope will be helpful. Uh, This podcast recording finds me at home in the summer with Noah, my daughter, who's five years old. Her brothers are at summer camp. She and I are spending all this time together, which is so fun and also sometimes challenging. And anyone who has a five-year-old with a big personality and a very strong will, you will understand. But uh, we have been having a lot of fun. And um, I am recording this in the bedroom because it's the quietest room, but it is very possible that she will come in. So (laughs) I have really chosen in the last couple of years to just let you hear all the real parts of recording a podcast, like when my kids come in or when the dog runs through the room, because I guess what I hope most is that we're having real conversations and that for everyone that we're learning from, whether it's inside of books or in podcasts or on the internet or influencers or teachers, that uh, we get back to this sort of humanness that I think has been lost in the more recent, like with the invention of social media and getting to sort of see an idealized version of someone. I actually think there's a lot of beauty in real life. So my real life is happening in the background and I'm grateful for your patience as that goes on. I am doing an episode today I've never done before and it's mostly because I didn't realize that this was happening. So when I say this, what I mean is I didn't know that there was a part. Um, so uh, let me let me back up for y'all. I have a hotline here for the podcast and women call in from all over the world, though also 
I know there are dudes who listen to this. So, sir, if you have a question, don't be afraid to call and ask. But women call in from all over the world and ask questions or share stories about how they've done something based on a guest that we had or a book that they read. Um, They tell about how they're doing the work, which is so rad. But I didn't know that there was a section of the spreadsheet uh, that my team puts together for me where they organize these calls. And there was a section for any time that there was an episode where we got a lot of voicemails about the same episode. And I happened to find that recently, not the most tech savvy, I'm not going to lie, but I happened to find that recently. And I thought it was so cool because there was such an overwhelming response to a podcast episode I did called How to Forgive or, or, um, you know, sort of the process of forgiveness. And that was an hour-long episode. It's episode number 250 if you want to go take a listen to it. But in that episode, I, I did a deep dive on the people in our lives that hurt us, whether that's your family of origin, you know, your mama, your daddy, sisters, whether that's a best friend, uh, a wife, a husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, any kind of partner, maybe it's a business partnership or any time that you have a relationship that you have been really hurt by someone and you know in your heart that you need to forgive them, but you struggle to do that. So that's what episode 250 is all about. And it just so happens that I guess that that hit a nerve or that was something that maybe a lot of us are working through. And we got so many follow-up questions. Um, a lot of times when people call in about an episode, it's to say like, oh, hey, I really liked this. But this one was like, oh, Rachel, can you tell me about this? Can you tell me about that? And so today I'm doing a group like collection of those voicemails and taking a deeper dive into forgiveness. So we're going to talk about how you forgive yourself when you've done something that you feel like you really can't let go of. How do you know if it's something where you need to forgive someone or if it's something that you need to work on in you? And also, at what point do you stop a cycle of allowing someone to do things that is hurting you. So if you've ever had someone in your life that says they're sorry, but keeps doing things that they shouldn't, at what point do you know that it's time to let go, to cut them off, to create a boundary? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I really want to encourage you guys. I love hearing the voicemails from you. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, just a human like you are trying to do my best. But I do think I'm really good. Like if I have a gift that makes me great at this job, it's I am such a seeker of knowledge. I'm constantly reading, reading, reading and learning and watching YouTube and listening to podcasts and trying to find as much wisdom as I can on the areas that I'm working on in my life. So whenever you and I have an area that overlaps, right, like motherhood or relationships or in this case, forgiveness, if I think that I can offer something to be helpful, then I definitely will. And I only answer questions that I think I can add something to. Um, Thank you to those of you who ask about, you know, my skincare or (laughs) my style or things like that. Um, But I feel like there's people who are much better at that than I am. So I'll let them be the, the fashionistas and the skincare experts. And I'll just keep answering the, the voicemails that I feel like I can 
be helpful. So if you have a question or you've got something in your life, you're just like, dang, I'd love someone else's perspective, call into the hotline and, and leave a voicemail for me. And you can find that number in the show notes. So let's jump in, guys. Let's listen to some of these voicemails and see what the questions were. Hey, Rachel. Jayla here from Wisconsin. And I just listened to your podcast on how to forgive. And I thought it was amazing. But what if the person you need to forgive is yourself? Um, A lot of it applied to what you were saying and just applying it to myself. But I also feel like there's more to it. What if you're the one that caused the pain, caused the hurt? How do you forgive yourself? Sending much love and I hope you have a fantastic day. So first I just want to honor her because this is a really vulnerable question to ask. I think that we live in a society that creates this myth that we're all supposed to be perfect and that we're not supposed to make mistakes. And that is exacerbated times 1 million if you're a woman. And I think that it is made so much worse by social media that shows us a idealized version of what it is to be a person and only shows us the highlights and never shows the mistakes. And also that we are in a culture that I think really there's sort of the subset that loves it when someone makes a mistake, like loves to gossip about it and loves to talk about it and loves to revel in other people getting it wrong. And that creates this sort of terror for a lot of people of trying anything, doing anything, being anything. And it's so much worse if you've done something where you've hurt someone that you really love. You've hurt someone that you care about. You've created this harm. And man, the vulnerability in her being willing to ask that question, I just want to honor it. Because I think that one of our greatest powers is to just be truthful. You know, there's if you've ever heard that N-E-R-D song, Lemon, which is so good and absolutely something you should all be dancing to, even though it's um, an older song. But the first line is, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. It's really hard to be honest about the pain that we've caused or the things that we've done or the mistakes that we've made. And when I hear the question, what if the person that I need to forgive is myself? Where it takes me is actually to, well, why haven't you forgiven yourself? You know, if we could just wave a wand, we would have let that go. Because nobody wants to wallow in pain or wants to wallow in self-recrimination or, you know, if y'all are anything like me and you make a mistake, you'll spiral you know, I spiral in my mind and I'll analyze it from a thousand different angles and ask myself how I could have possibly done this thing and how could I have gotten it so wrong? And I'll just go off a deep end. And so 
I think the more powerful question here is not how to forgive, but first to look at why haven't you forgiven yourself? So there are a few things that I thought of when it comes to not being able to forgive. And as y'all are listening to this, maybe right now you're thinking, you know what? I never did any, you know, I, I can't really identify with this question, right? I never cheated on anybody. I never made a mistake. I never, you know, lost a ton of money for my family. Like I never did something really bad. But I think that every single one of us can understand what it's like to have guilt about a past decision or a way that we've done things. So even though you might not be able to identify with the level that she's feeling it, as we're having this conversation, maybe there are bits and pieces in here that you can apply to your own shame, to your own guilt. Because if you are a human being listening to this, you've got your own version of shame and guilt. There's no way you don't because that's the kind of thing that we're hand. It's like we come into earth and then other people are like, well, let me tell you why you're wrong. And even if the reason that they've tried to make you feel shame or they've tried to make you feel wrong, even if that reason isn't justified, we still have those wounds. We still have that trauma from our childhood, from our past, from when we were 14 years old, where someone made us feel bad for what we'd done or who we are, and it's still in there. So I think that these thoughts really will apply even if you don't feel like you've hurt someone. My first question that I want to ask you is what emotional need is being met by you holding on to this guilt? What emotional need is being met by you holding on to your attachment to this pain, to this shame, to this guilt? Because we do not hold on to stuff if it's not serving us on some level. Now, let me just make this very clear. Making yourself feel like crap is not serving your highest good, but it's certainly serving something in you that believes that that's the level of your worth. Our subconscious will do everything in its power, which P.S. is a hell of a lot, to keep us living into the idea that we believe we are. That is, by the way, you, you've heard me talking a ton and guests talking a ton, and you've probably seen it out in the world, right? If you're on a spiritual journey, you're listening to conversations like this one, you've probably heard a lot of people talking about the idea of ego. And when, when we say ego as it pertains to spirituality, it's not talking about someone who has a big ego or is egotistical. Ego is whatever you believe that you are. Have you heard that old, uh, the acronym? It's like ego, E-G-O, edging God out. Meaning um, you're getting further and further away from who is inside of you, your creator, this person that you were made to be. You have this idea that you are a bad person. You have this idea that you are a cheater. You have this idea that you're not worth it. And so your subconscious is like, oh, that's who Megan thinks she is? Okay. Yeah. 
then we're just going to keep focusing, obsessing on this idea, and it's serving an emotional need. It's checking the box. Your ego says, I'm a bad person, and you're like, right, so I'm going to hold on to this guilt because um, I am a bad person, and therefore I deserve this guilt, and therefore it's serving your idea of who you believe you are. I have a friend who in their younger days, in their early 20s, was an addict. A really, really bad, very close to losing their life addict. And I mean fought, y'all, fought like with the most passion and the most, like the strongest warrior spirit to turn their life around. And you can imagine, even if you've never dealt with addiction, you can imagine how hard it is to come back from an addiction to some really severe drugs. And they did it. And they have been clean and sober for, oh, 25 years, maybe. Incredible, incredible, like so inspiring. And they cannot forgive themselves for what they put their family through because the family really came together and helped them and stood beside them and walked that path. And it was very traumatic for everybody and very hard, but damn, they did it. And they've gone on to have this beautiful life but they cannot forgive themselves for what they put their family through. And every day, this person, this amazing person, one of the strongest people I know, lives out a a thousand different narratives based on something that happened over 20 years ago. They have never again done drugs. They've never again made those decisions. They've never again hurt their family, but they cannot let it go. And having known them for a while now, at first, I was so kind of shocked by this because coming in, you know, I didn't know them all those years. So I've only known them now and coming in now, I'm like, oh my God, you're like literally the strongest person I know. This story is amazing. This would inspire so many people. But that didn't get through. And the longer I've known them, the more I realize, oh, some emotional need in you is being served by this narrative. Long ago, you made a decision about who you are and you're unable to let go of it. And so every day you keep living out that truth. And, you know, one of the most astounding things to me is the leadership that could come from this person, the wisdom, the teacher. Like if this person wanted to, had the ability to, could get out of this narrative, I think that they could be one of the most incredible teachers for other people who have gone through similar struggles. But can I tell y'all, they're is such a lack of belief in themselves 
and there's such a lack of worth. It's like they did this thing so long ago and they have this perception that it is so bad. So they're just gonna keep holding on to it. I want you to think of holding on to those negative feelings, holding on to those negative beliefs. I want you to imagine like a black chain, like a corroded evil chain that's literally anchoring you to the past. When you go through something hard, when you have done something, yes, you feel those emotions, feel that pain, be honest about what's happened, but it is not serving you to stay in that. I mean, that if, if I think of my friend, I'm like, yeah, you're still a teenager. You're still that teenager who feels that guilt about what happened. It's like the other, I don't know, 40 years of your life are completely wiped out because of two years where you were in a hard season. This is crazy, but it's not because the family wants them to feel guilty. It's not because other people put it on them. It's because on some level, they believe that is what they are worthy of. They believe that they are a bad person, that they did a bad thing, and so they have to keep feeling the way that they're feeling. I'm talking about my friend and their situation, but it's a similar thing that happens if you hurt someone that you love when you're in a relationship. If you left someone, if you cheated, if you did something that broke a trust or a sacred bond that you had. And some people stay attached to their hurt or are unwilling to forgive themselves because they think, if I keep obsessing about this, then I won't ever do it again. If I keep obsessing about this, then I won't ever do it again. And just speaking from like a really honest place, I definitely realized, I think when I've made public mistakes, like when I've said stuff on social media that was hurtful, intentional or not, I obsessed, and I've talked about this a lot, but I have I obsessed and obsessed and obsessed and spiraled and um, hated myself and felt insane shame, like so much shame for getting it wrong, for not being perfect, for um, not knowing better, for not doing better, all of those things. And what I realized after a certain amount of time, like six months of feeling really low and feeling really ashamed, which just as a side note, everyone, one of the greatest things that I've ever learned in my own journey of humanity is that your shame isn't going to help anybody. Whatever you did, your shame won't help. You learning will help. You growing will help. Your evolution will help. That's what helps. Your shame doesn't serve, doesn't help. So for me, I realize the reason I keep obsessing over this and the reason I keep the self-flagellation and the self-recrimination and I just keep hating myself is because I think if I can just stay focused on this, then I won't 
hurt anyone again. Then I won't make a mistake. Then I won't unintentionally do harm. That is kind of crazy when I say it out loud, but at the time it felt very true for me. Only I couldn't really, I couldn't process that that was what was happening. And honestly, I think the only reason that I figured this out is my sweet boyfriend who held space for conversation and talked and talked and talked to me about this for, I mean, probably a year. Um, One day he looked at me and he said, you know, you didn't mean to do this, right? And I was like, yeah, I, I know, but but still, and I just sort of started going. And he's like, and Rachel, if you care this much and you've worked this hard, you understand that you're not ever going to do that again. He's like, you you can't guarantee that you won't make a mistake again because you're human, but you know you won't make that mistake again. And I was like, whoa. Because I I didn't realize that that was why I was holding on to the attachment. That if I could stay attached to this thing, then at least I wouldn't make the mistake again. And I wonder for you, if you're holding on to your pain and this thing for the same reason. If that's not it, right? If you're like, no, I, you know, I could see that, but that's not really my, then what I wonder is, are you holding on Are you unable to forgive yourself because you haven't really accepted that you made a mistake? Now, this is a really interesting one because on the one hand, you wouldn't even be asking the question if you weren't aware that you had done something hurtful. But I think that acceptance really is multi-layered you know, accepting on the surface, accepting how it affected others, accepting why you did it, accepting just sort of all of those pieces. And when it's something that feels really life-changing, really bad, really earth-rocking, which I assume that it is because you called in and you asked this question, when it's something like that, I don't think it's possible to process all of it at once. I think it's many, many months of unpacking, maybe years of understanding why. But forgiveness has to start with acceptance of what happened and acceptance of like, why did I do this thing? Like, I really believe and I try so desperately to keep this affirmation in the forefront of my mind that every single human being is doing the best that they can with what they've got on that particular day. So can you accept that on that day, in that moment, you were doing the best that you could? By the way, the best that we can sometimes sucks. The best that we can sometimes mean. The best that we can can absolutely be downright evil for some people. Some people's best is evil because that's all they've got. Those are the only tools in their toolbox. That's the only thing that they're able to do based on whatever their history is. You cannot compare your history, 
your story, your decisions, your mistakes with other people's. If every single human being had to have a spotlight on them at all times and we got to see all the horrible stuff that everybody has done, nobody would be saying anything to anyone. People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And we all live in a glass house. You maybe made a mistake in a different way than your sister would have done or your in-laws would have done or the members of your church community would have done, or your boss would have done, but never, ever believe that because they didn't make a mistake the same way you did, that they're, they don't have their own issues in their own life. We're all doing our best, and someday our best sucks. The last reason that I wonder if you might still be stuck in this is because someone else won't let you forgive yourself. So I wrote about this in my last book, Didn't See That Coming. Uh, That book is all about how to go through hard seasons, how to walk out the other side of pain, trauma, divorce, loss of a loved one, all of the hard things that I had gone through I sort of put into one spot. And it's interesting because you know, that book isn't as funny and I don't talk about, you know, back fat or panty lines or my sex life. And so it's not my most popular book, but I do think it's some of the best, truest words I've ever put down on a page. And if you're going through something hard, go grab it from the library. You don't have to buy it. Uh, Or you can, you know, if you want to listen to it, you can listen on audio. I read it. But There is a part of that book where I tell the story of a couple that I met and she had cheated on him and they were telling me the story and they were talking about their pain. They were talking about what they had gone through and I'm counseling them and I'm trying to walk them through it. And I'm, I mean, the pain is so visceral. You can feel his pain and you can feel her shame. And I just, uh, my heart was weeping for both of them. And the whole time they're telling me this, I'm thinking, I mean, this happened six months ago. Like this is, you could feel how new it was. You could feel how raw. And at some point in them telling the story, it comes out that this was like, it was like four or five years before. It was so long ago. I mean, they had like been married for seven years or something, and this had happened five years ago. And I remember in that moment being like, oh, damn. She can't forgive herself because he will not let her forget this. Let me say it again. She cannot forgive herself because he refuses to let her forget this. Every single time they get in a fight, he brings it up. Every single time he's frustrated with her, he finds a way to weave it in. Well, it's hard for me to trust you because of what you did. He is still regurgitating this pain as if it just happened to him yesterday. And by the way, in the same way that you are attached to not being able to forgive yourself, that husband was very attached to his pain for whatever reasons, right? Maybe it makes him feel safe. Maybe he's afraid of getting hurt again, so he wants to keep her in check. Maybe he secretly hates her for what she did and he wants to bring it up again and again. But all I know is that inside of this relationship, that man— 
punishes her for this mistake over and over and over again, and she allows it to happen because she believes that that is what she deserves for the mistake that she has made. I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel immense sadness for what you did. But if you have done everything in your power to make it right, if you've made change, if you've gone to therapy, if you've talked it through, if you've apologized sincerely, if you are taking every single day, you're taking steps to live the right kind of life and do the right kind of thing, and you have someone in your life or many someones in your life who do not want you to forget the past mistake, you need to have every alarm bell in your head screaming at you because this is not healthy. If someone says that they want to move forward, that they want to forgive what has happened and they want to move forward, then moving forward looks like finding a way to leave this baggage behind. Not leave the past behind. Not pretend that it didn't happen. But to say, I am choosing to move forward with you in spite of what has occurred, because I love you, because I believe in us, because I understand that you're human, because, because, whatever. But if someone is saying that, but their actions are really to keep torturing you with a past mistake, this is broken. This is, you need to go see a therapist. This is, you need to have some real conversations about why you are still together. That is a serious red flag. So sometimes we think we can't forgive ourselves, but when we take a step back and look, it's like, oh, yeah, I can't forgive myself because my mom brings this up every time I talk to her. I can't forgive myself because my kids who are now in their 30s are still upset, you know, we're still having something's broken in this conversation and you may need, no, you definitely need a professional to help guide you through it. So that's some of the reasons why you maybe can't forgive yourself. But now let's get to action steps you can take, tactical things you can do to move yourself in the direction of healing. My first piece of advice would be to talk this through with a professional. So I, I uh, if you have a counselor at your church, if you've got a therapist, if you can do online therapy, um, I really recommend that it's someone that you trust, not like a friend, not someone who's automatically going to side with you, not you know your girlfriend or your boyfriend, but someone who has perspective at like a 50,000 foot level. Someone who can sort of see from high above and give you a good opinion on what this looks like. I I cannot recommend therapy enough. I've been talking about it for years and years. I went to therapy the first time when I was 14 years old. I've used therapists on and off over the years whenever I was going through hard things. And I think that the most powerful thing that a therapist or a counselor can give you is a perspective based on what you're saying, not on a 40-year family history that they know, right? So they're really giving you like an outsider's perspective, which is so powerful. Therapy is also really powerful 
because we have to speak our truth out into the void, right? We have to speak it out loud. If you have self-recrimination, if you have hatred towards yourself, if you have negative feelings towards yourself, whatever you think, it's probably 10 times worse what's happening in the back of your mind. In the front of your mind where you're conscious of it, you're like, I can't believe I did that. I can't, I, I failed, I'm wrong, I'm this, I'm that. In the back of your mind, in the subconscious, oh, that's when your negative self-talk, uh, it gets evil. In fact, if you don't ever unpack what that self is saying to you, you begin to accept it as truth. So therapy is powerful because you begin to speak your truth out loud and it really helps you to see things that you can't see when you're just thinking about it. The second thing I'd love to encourage you to do is to find the lesson here, to find the lesson. I, I am going to use it as an example again because it's one of the things that was hardest to forgive myself for, which was putting a post on social media that was hurtful to people. And I, I mean, I've talked about this a million times, but finding the lesson in it, I think took a minute because what I kept swirling around over and over and over was like, but I didn't mean, I didn't understand that what I was saying was hurtful and I didn't mean to hurt anybody. And I kept obsessing over that idea. And in that sort of obsession and that like sitting in that place, I'm not learning anything. I'm not listening to anything. I'm not growing as a person because I'm just going, but I didn't mean to, but I didn't mean to. I'm I'm holding on to like justification instead of going, okay, well, clearly God had a lesson for me in this. Clearly there's something I don't understand. And clearly there was no way that I could really grasp it on a greater level if I didn't do work. I had more work to do. I still have more work to do. I mean, I think that's what I've understood in that process. It's been a year and a half now. What I understand now is that, oh, I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning these lessons and probably still getting things wrong. But if I hadn't gone through that, then I wouldn't have been able to find the lesson in it. And just like me, for my friend who called in, the painful lessons are the ones that change our life forever in the best way if we're willing to let that pain open our hearts more. Speaking of, this was another piece of advice that I wrote down for you, which was get into your heart and out of your head. So I did a, I actually sat down with a really wise spiritual teacher. It was in Tuesday's episode. So you can just go back one episode and find my conversation with Sonia Choquette, where she talked about getting out of your head and into your heart. And she gave some really great practices that you can do to get yourself there. They're so simple. They all take like less than a minute. Go listen to that episode because your head will tell you all of the reasons that you're a piece of crap. Let's be honest. Your heart would never. Your heart 
I think, is where divinity resides. That's where God lives inside of each and every human. And you don't have to believe like I believe, but I do believe that God sits inside the heart of every single person. It's just that depending on what you've gone through and where you're at, there is a greater disconnect between you and that heart, between you and your creator. But in your heart, that's where something holy lives. And from that place, there's never, ever going to be hatred or shame or guilt. In your heart, you know that you're doing your best. In your heart, you know that you are loved. In your heart, you know that you were created for something more than this. In your heart, you know the truth. So if you're feeling negative emotions, they are always going to be your brain talking, not your heart. So go listen to that episode and get some of her wisdom because it's amazing. The last piece of advice I wanted to give you is to consider affirmations. Affirmations, I think, are really powerful as a tool to remind ourselves where we want to go and to remind our mind what we want to focus on. Because in these instances, you have been practicing the habit of self-hatred for so long that you will very easily slip back into it. So you need something else. You need a North Star. You need something. In, in yoga, they call it a drishti. It's the point of focus that keeps you from falling. You, if you're doing a balancing move, like if you're trying to hold balance in a yoga pose, they ask you to find a small point in the room and focus on it. And if you focus on this point in the room, then you can easily keep your balance. And I think an affirmation can be that for you. So the affirmation that you can build is about what you need, right? Maybe your affirmation is, I have faith in who I am and the decisions I will make in the future. I have faith in my heart or Maybe your affirmation is, I know that I am a good person and that I do good in the world. Whatever makes sense to you, because only you know your story, that's what you build an affirmation around. And you can Google, like Google best affirmations for self-healing or best affirmations for forgiving myself. You're going to find a ton of examples that you can use one of those or come up with something on your own. But you just remind yourself, like one of the most powerful affirmations I think that we can have as human beings is I want to feel good. That's it. I want to feel good. I want to feel good. If I keep coming back to that alignment, oh, right. I want to feel good. I am telling my spirit. I'm telling my brain. I'm telling my heart. I'm telling all of us together. This is where we're headed. And so we want to make decisions that help us to live out that truth. Those are my pieces of advice on how to forgive yourself. Our next question about forgiveness is about someone else instead of yourself. So let's listen into that now. Hi, Rachel. Um, my name is Bridget. I, you and I go back a long way, but you don't know that. I actually was sitting in your conference in Rise. I think it was 2019, and then I've been following you kind of through it all, all the ups and downs, and have so much respect for you um, bouncing back and keeping it real. But I'm listening to your podcast now on forgiveness, and the actual just definition is blowing my mind. 
And so my question really is, in your experience, how do you discern whether, right, like when you get triggered, it's your work, it's an old wound sometimes. So how do you discern it's something you need to change or work on or heal versus like you had set a boundary or versus something you need to ask the other person to change? Does that make sense? Because I've always thought of a trigger as just an old wound kind of being poked at. But when I heard you talk about forgiveness, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Forgiveness is about something the other person did. Yeah, it might be an old wound, but it is something that they've done. So how do you discern whether it's your work or their work, if that makes sense? Okay. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks for calling and asking this question because I think it's something that a lot of us have experienced. Like we're human beings. If you're in a relationship with anybody, romantic, familial, friendship, doesn't matter, work relationship, we've all had some version of this show up in our lives. And I think it's a really good question. And my answer is both. Okay. So let me explain how I'm hearing this question is if I'm going to make up an example, Bridge. So if, oh, Bridget, okay, we're going to use, mm-hmm, I got this, Mark Darcy and Daniel Cleaver. Let's say, These are two people in your life. And shout out to everybody who gets the reference that I'm making right now. So Bridget uh, used to date Daniel Cleaver, is now in a relationship with Mark Darcy. And Daniel used to, I'm making this up because this did not happen in the movie, but let's say that Daniel used to make Bridget feel badly about her body. Let's say he used to shame her and he used to... um, quote unquote tease and say things that he tried to sort of fluff off as not a big deal, but would be about her body and would make her feel badly about herself. And so, you know, Daniel was a bad guy. She's come into this new relationship with Mark Darcy and she is very easily triggered by things that feel to her like Mark is talking badly about the way she looks, about her body, making her feel like she's overweight or not beautiful. And so this is our scenario. So the question then is, is Bridget being triggered by a past wound or is this something that she needs to ask her new partner, Mark Darcy, to work on? And my answer for you is yes, both. In this instance, we're talking about a romantic relationship. So you should not ever be in a romantic relationship with someone who does not want the best for you. The best for you doesn't ever need to come at the expense of someone else and vice versa. So you getting what's best for you is never going to be a negative for your partner. And your partner getting what's best for them should never be a negative for you. So if that is true, then why would you ever want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want what's best for you? Mark doesn't want Bridget ever to feel anything but beautiful and sexy and gorgeous and wonderful, right? Like if he is a good partner, which we know he is because he's played by Colin Firth, who's perfect, Mark would only want the best for Bridget. So then 
he would be willing to hold space for her to explain, when you touch my stomach, it reminded me of this moment and it made me feel uncomfortable. It made me feel ugly. Or when you commented on my sweater, I know that it seemed really innocuous to you, but it reminded me of this and it made me feel this way. Because by Bridget being willing to speak her truth, then her partner has the opportunity, one, to learn what her triggers are. To learn, like, I cannot imagine, actually I can. (laughs) I was going to say, I can't imagine being in a relationship with someone who doesn't care what your triggers are, but yes, I can. I know what that's like. Um, I'm in a relationship with someone today who cares deeply to know what those wounds are and what those hurts are, but also can understand what they are without taking responsibility for them. He will hold responsibility for not saying things or doing things that he knows will be triggering for me, but also can do that without feeling like he has to you know, represent all the men in the world, right? Like he doesn't need to represent everybody who's hurt me before, but he can hold awareness of that. At the same time, I also have to work on my triggers. Bridget also has to work on the fact that her ex was slimy and was a jerk and said mean things. She's got to work on unpacking that. If you just say this bad thing happened or this bad person happened or this bad situation happened and I'm triggered by it, that's just my lot in life, right? You're going to carry that with you to the grave. Acknowledging the trigger is not enough. You got to also work on why it's there. And what I have found is that for our big traumas and our big triggers, that's, I mean, it's it's a lifetime of work. It takes years. It literally takes years to get to the bottom of why something's happened. My favorite quote that I read recently, and forgive me because I cannot remember what book I read this in, but he said, when you can remember a past painful experience without any emotion attached to it, that is wisdom. And I would say the same thing about trauma. When you can remember something that used to trigger you, without being triggered, that is wisdom. That means you're doing the work. You're learning the lesson. Yeah, if you can remember the past that used to hurt you, but you've learned those lessons from it, that's the healing work, you guys. That's the journey when it can't hurt you anymore. But it's got to go both ways. It's the work that we want to do for ourselves And then I also think it's that we don't want to be in partnership, in relationships with people that don't care that something hurts us. That, that's, oh, I'd never want that for you. Just as your friend, I'd never want that for you. And I think that we, and I'm speaking from my own experience, we are in relationships for so long, whether that's two years or 18 or six months or 10, we stay in relationships for so long and we get set into a pattern. And so we don't even see the things that were wrong 
We don't even see the hurts. We don't even see until we're outside of it. And I don't tell you these stories about my own relationship in the past so that you can be like, you know, middle fingers up like a Beyonce song and like be done. I believe in marriage. I believe in relationships. I believe in you being with your partner if that's what feels good to you and your soul. But what I hope I can do in telling my own stories or talking about my own trauma is I hope that you can go, oh yeah, that's weird. And then if you see that reflected in your own life, that you question it. Because I never had anybody in my life who was pointing things out going, hey, this is really disrespectful. Hey, this is really weird. Hey, this is not something a loving partner does. And in my own history, I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't, my parents had the most horrible marriage ever. So what I now understand is that in my own relationship, I was like, well, he doesn't have my dad's temper, right? He doesn't punch a hole in the wall when he gets mad. So he's great. I had such a crazy low bar and no example of what it looked like when it was healthy so that it didn't occur to me how many parts of it were deeply unhealthy. So it may sound like a pretty bold statement to tell you that you don't want to be with someone who knows that things are triggering for you and keeps doing them, but I'll I'll stand by that. I'll die on that hill. That that will be I will I will die on that hill for you. It's like those people who are in a relationship with someone where there was infidelity in the past. And so they feel very, they have a really hard time with trust and they're working on it and they're trying to overcome it. And their partner keeps doing things that make them feel very unsafe, keeps going out with the boys and doesn't call, right? Keeps, you know, um, doing things that make you feel nervous, anxious, untrustworthy, and is just like, oh, well, you should trust me. Well, yeah, but if there's a reason that they don't, right? If maybe it's not even him. Just sit with this for a second. Maybe you're, maybe, okay, someone needs to hear this right now. Someone listening to this has a partner who they have explained, hey, my ex cheated on me repeatedly. It was very traumatic. It was very hard. And your new partner is like, yeah, but that's not me. And you're like, I, I know, but if you could just, it's like the simplest thing. If you could just send me like just a text, let me know you're alive, right? Just, I worry about it. Could you just let me know? Like, could you just, and they don't care enough to make you feel calm or safe. What the hell are you doing in this relationship? What are you doing? Why would you want to be with someone who doesn't care that you feel anxious or scared? Yes, there's obviously work that you've got to do on your own heart, but it takes so little. It takes so little to meet someone where they're at and to say, man, I see you. I see this thing. Let's come up with a solution together because that's what a healthy, loving relationship does. I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, When 
I first started dating my boyfriend more seriously. He has a, a, a really very busy job, very intense job. He travels a ton and he's in the music industry. So he'll be in like a recording studio or an arena or doing things where he loses track of time and it could be five hours that go by. They're like in a jam session, they're busy, they're in flow. And so stuff's going on and like the five hours will go by. And when I have in my life lost a lot of people, I've had a lot of people die before, just before they should have. I've, I've lost a lot of family members and a lot of friends very young. And that has given me a fair amount of PTSD of being afraid that people are going to die, being afraid that if someone calls my phone in the middle of the night and I'm not expecting it, that it's the worst news possible. Um, frankly, if someone calls me on the phone, like if you're my friend or a family member, you call me before you text, I'm like, well, who's dead? I just, I'm wired for it. It gives me such terrible anxiety. And when we first started dating seriously, we'd have like whole days where I wouldn't hear from him. I would get such awful anxiety about it because I'd be like, he's dead. And at the same time, if you know my story, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience dating. And by not a lot, I mean none. And so I didn't know. I felt very insecure about whether or not I could be like, hey, where are you? <laughs> because I didn't want to be like, uncool or seem clingy or whatever. And so I just like carried this crazy anxiety about not hearing from him, but not knowing what to say about it. And it all built to this big, you know, like a tea kettle sort of boiling over. One day I got really frustrated and I handled it in a super mature way, which was, I was just like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> he called to check in like at the end of the day. And I was like, I love you, but I don't want to talk to you right now. I will talk to you tomorrow. And it was very dramatic. And he was like so hurt because he was like, why are you closing down? Why are you, I don't know what I did. I don't. Um, so it was a whole thing, you guys. But the point is that when we actually had the conversation and I could explain to him, first of all, it was the first time I spoke it out loud. But secondly, he was like, oh my gosh, like I don't ever want you to worry. But I'm like in, I don't, what, what can I do? Because he's like, I don't have, the capacity when I'm in that, when I'm doing work like that, I don't have the capacity to like call. I don't want to pull myself out of what I'm, and I'm like, dude, totally understand. Cause when I'm in, when I'm writing, if I'm in flow state and someone disrupts that, it throws everything off. So I was like, I totally get this. Could you literally just send me three heart emojis? Open your phone, zero context, three heart emojis. And all that says is I am alive I am thinking about you. I am alive. <laughs> so he started this thing. Oh, gosh, we've been together for, I don't know, a year and a half. And every time he's out on tour, every time they're in the studio, every time I'll just have all throughout the day, I'll just have three heart emojis. And then I send back like three kissy emojis. And that's our whole conversation until later in the night when we can have a phone call. It was the simplest thing. And it's not something he ever did before in a past relationship. He never had someone who needed that, but I need it. And so it wasn't a question. He was like, okay, let's find a way that works for both of us that we can meet this need that you have. So I just, I can't encourage y'all enough to 
approach this from both ways. You healing the thing that you feel triggered by is one of the most freeing gifts you can ever give yourself. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. But also, whether it's a friend, a parent, a child, a partner, whoever it is in your life, a healthy relationship with that person means that you care about what would be triggering to them and they care about what would be triggering to you and you work on a solution that will create a safe space for you both. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you found it really helpful. And if you did, would you share it? Would you share it with a friend? Would you share it with your partner? Would you put it out on your social and tell people about the kind of conversations that we have here and maybe encourage them to do some seeking of their own? I also just want to make sure if you're still here, it says to me that maybe you like listening to some of the things we talk about on the show and that you like the idea of working on yourself. And I am going on tour with this podcast this fall. I am not sure if you've heard, but taking this baby out on the road and my intention with my tour dates is really clear in that I feel like we need a connection back to ourselves. We Okay, I shouldn't speak for you, but at least for me, I feel like going through pandemic and everything that has happened, it sort of disconnected me from my purpose. It disconnected me from my vision that I have for my future and my life and my family. And I feel like I've had to fight so much harder to sort of clear the cobwebs and clear the murkiness and really get back in line with who I believe I'm called to be. And if you feel like that too, if you feel like you need to get your groove back, if you need to get your passion back and to feel excited, I want to make sure you know about the tour. You can go to rachetalklive.com. You can find out all the cities that I'm coming to. But just to give you an idea of what we're diving into during tour, we're talking about confidence. Like how do you cultivate confidence in yourself to believe that you are worth more, to believe that you can pursue those dreams? How do you reconnect with the vision that you have for your life or maybe see that vision for the very first time? How do you raise your vibration to attract more joy and abundance? And who do you need in your circle? How do you connect with women in your town who are like-minded, who will be that community that you need? Those are just some of the things that we're diving into. And you can grab your tickets at rachetalklive.com. I hope that you will come join me. If you've never seen me speak before, go check out you know YouTube. You can see, I think pretty motivational, pretty fun, pretty high energy. And it's not for everyone. I'm I'm not necessarily an introvert's dream, but if you are someone who's seeking, if you're looking for a community to belong in of dreamers, of doers, of leaders, this is that community. And I don't know of any better way to reignite that feeling of connection to your higher purpose than to be in an environment, to be in an experience with like-minded people who 
will raise that vibration in you. So ragetalklive.com, come into a city near you. And I hope that we can hang out together. That is all for this week, guys. Thanks for listening in. I will be back later with more conversation. And until then, remember, I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.